My name is Ashling, and I'm the Family Life Pastor here at 10th, and I have been praying and pondering about my days that I spent a handful of years ago in the sweltering heat of the Philippines. I was doing research in an orphanage uh, outside of Manila, and I was spending days over weeks and months uh, watching young people and children um, pray and sing and eat and play. I was taking notes, I was doing interviews, and I was asking questions about the nature of relationships in that place I had chosen this particular orphanage because I knew that at least a couple of the leaders were really committed to attachment principles and best practices. But if you simmered down all the questions and all my research coding, the main key question I was asking was, where is love in this place? Where is love in this place? If I'm really honest, the other reason I chose this particular orphanage was because I was incredibly intrigued by the director. The director's name is Charity. She is a small, uh, well, I'll say small and mighty <laughs> person. She's petite. She is red-haired. She's Canadian. She's spent much of her life in the Philippines, and she's fluent in Tagalog. And... Uh, to say that she takes the well-being of those in her care in that place seriously is a big understatement. I remember the first time I met Charity. A few of us were getting a, a look at that center, and she sat us down and said, I have no problem saying to anyone who comes into this building, you can help, but do not touch my children. And by her children... She meant the nearly 100 children and youth and nearly aged out young adults who had hardly a person who cared about them like that. Someone who said with her very presence, do not be afraid, I am here. I often felt like she could look at a whole set of armies and tell them what they needed to do and where they needed to go if the well-being of those young people depended on it. It was like she was part lioness, <laughs> like she could growl if she needed to. But these were young people who had experienced abandonment, neglect, calamity, crisis, having someone stand in the wake of that and say, you are mine. Well, that matters. That really matters. Have you ever had someone in your life, maybe in your younger years, who with their actions and their behavior looked at you and let you know you are mine. Someone who said, I will do everything in my power to make sure that harm does not come your way. If you can think of someone like that, how did it make you feel? If you can't, how did that make you feel? We're continuing our I Am's of Jesus sermon series, and we're looking in God's word at the places where we hear from Jesus boldly, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate and the door 
And today we're continuing to look at those same verses in John chapter 10 as Jesus says to us, I am the good shepherd. And I want us to look at John chapter 10 and to ask four key questions, if you can keep these in your mind. Why does it matter? Why does the voice and love of the good shepherd matter so much? And what does it sound like? And how can I hear it? And who is it for anyway? In John chapter 10, verse 10 through 15, we read, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. We know that the voice of a loved one is incredibly important for the listener. And for a security figure's voice to speak into the life of a young person or someone vulnerable, we know that matters too. There was recently a study carried out by the Stanford School of Medicine And Daniel Abrams and his colleagues were looking at the way that a child shows preference for their mother's voice. They wanted to see how the brain processed sounds that came from this important sound source. And so they used short clips of sounds, um, sometimes the mother's voice, sometimes other mothers, and some of the sounds were just a second long, and some of them were nonsense word recordings. And they used MRI technology to see how the brain processed this in the child's brain. What the learned scientists were not prepared for was the way that the child would be able to detect their mother's voice over 97% of the time. And more than that, they were really struck by the ways that so many areas of the brain just opened up in response to the mother's voice. It wasn't just the auditory processing, it was also the systems of the brain that process reward stimuli, the amygdala that handles emotions, the part of the brain that processes information about self, and the brain systems that process the visual seeing of other faces. All of this happening, activated at the same time. One key researcher said, Voice is one of the most important social communication cues we have. It's so exciting to see the echo of the mother's voice living on in the life of the child's brain. Can I ask you a question? Whose voice echoes in and through your life today? It's a powerful question. If it matters so much, whose voice echoes in and through your life? Well, I'm an identical twin, and if my twin sister were to walk in the room right now, you would be surprised to suddenly meet someone 
whose voice sounded so similar to my own. When people meet her for the first time, and we've lived in different countries for many a, many a season, um, when people meet her for the first time, they're struck by what it's like to suddenly hear the same tone and pitch, sometimes the same words and phrases, even spoken at the same time, with the same head tilt. <laughs> Can be a little bit unsettling. And no doubt, this is what my nephew experienced years ago. I think I have a picture of him. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> many years ago, when Liam was in the room, suddenly having me visit after such a long time away. Suddenly, he was looking at his mom. He was looking at me, the twin. And I'll never forget the way he processed it. He's a little bit uh, schmoozy. So even at that young age, with dramatic flair, he kept going over to my sister's legs, his soother in his mouth, popping in and out, his blankie in the other hand. And looking at all the family members in that circle, he kept tapping my sister's legs and saying over and again, my mommy, my mommy as if to remind the room, and maybe himself, <laughs> that there was only one twin, one mom in that room that was truly his. This one's mine. A child knows, because a child is attuned to the voice, the one that he trusts with is everything. And I wasn't the right one. Well, as we look at John chapter 10, we see that the sheep have the listening ear of the good shepherd. The sheep know the difference. Jesus says that he knows them, he knows his own, and his own know me. And the stakes are high. It matters a lot. We're told about a thief that comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, last week, when we were looking at the earlier verses, we heard of robbers. <laughs> and now we hear of wolves prowling. And if that's not enough, what about the lookalikes? What about the hired hands? We're told that the hired hand does not own the sheep, does not claim them as their own. And the hired hands are those that are dressed like the part of someone who can be trusted. Dressed like the part of one who is there to make it their goal to care for their needs. But when it comes time for them to have skin in the game, <laughs> to serve the sheep when it's gonna cost them, what happens? They disappear. They flee. And we have this haunting image of the sheep that are left in harm's way, snatched, scattered. But we are given this good alternative, a good shepherd, one who does very differently. We read of a shepherd that says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, claiming them as his own, willing to pay the cost, in fact, instead of fleeing when it looks like his life is at stake, what do we see? This great transfer of costs. In order for the sheep to have life, the good shepherd gives his own life, one who has come in the flesh for the saving of those he loves. That sounds right. 
What does the good shepherd voice sound like? It sounds like somebody willing to put skin in the game, to lay their life down. And those who were listening at this time, no doubt, some of them, would have been reminded of the promises of old. In the Old Testament, we read in Isaiah chapter 40, 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And God's people have experienced some harm. They've experienced destruction. They've been scattered. And God's people are told through the prophet, there is one who is coming, who will come in great power and might, but will use his power for and on behalf of you. He will gather you with gentleness to his heart. He will nurture you. All this talk of thieves and robbers, prowling wolves and hired hands, I wish it didn't remind me of some of what we face in life. I wish the need wasn't so great. But some of us who come to a text like this one, we bring our own stories of harm and hurt, don't we? I have a picture of myself as a young girl, and I, I know I've shared with you, some of you, that I experienced a bit of abuse in my own story. And this picture was taken just a month after I was reunified with my mom, after the police and the child protection services got involved, and, and we had been in foster care for a handful of days. And they just needed to make sure that we were safe. They were assessing uh, the risk that we might be snatched or harmed some more. But this picture was taken after we were reunified and restarting our lives and a whole church surrounded us with their love and taught us about a good shepherd who knew my name and loved me. Some of us, and in a room like this, I know I'm not the only one, some of us have experienced hurt and harm in such a way that makes reading a text like this kind of visceral. <laughs> it's not news to us that there are people who do not have our best interest at heart. We know that. And it's not news to us that when we have encounters that are hurtful, we feel scattered and afraid and we need courage and we need comfort. But it is good news really good news to know that Jesus loves us, sees our pain, and together with the Father in one accord, ushers us into safety and security and life, real life. Some of you may hear a story like that and be struck by the fact that you don't relate to it. And if that's you, I really want to say I celebrate that. <laughs> it is a gift to have life and security. <laughs> Praise God. But we all have moments where we feel helpless, don't we? We all have moments where we have our pressures and strains in the day that feels like wolves nipping at our heels. Sometimes I honestly describe my to-do list that way. <laughs> and we all have moments where we turn on the news and we see those on the world stage using their power against the vulnerable instead of power for. And it can 
just make us feel helpless to know what to do. We all need the good shepherd's voice echoing in and through our lives, guiding us to know what to do personally and corporately as God's people. And I will add this, as I have prayed over this text for us in these last days, I've been thinking about another lookalike we need to be aware of. You see, sometimes our very sense of confidence and self-assuredness, our own sense of self, can be a lookalike. It's like a hired hand. It looks the, the part of dependable. We're pretty sure we can handle things, but when problems come prowling, and they do, and they will, it leaves us incredibly vulnerable. If we've set our heart on other voices, other answers, and we haven't leaned into hearing the Good Shepherd's voice, we all need the Good Shepherd's voice in our lives. So if we know that it matters, and we know what it sounds like, how can we hear it? I'll give you a short answer. Solitude and community. Solitude and community. I have this beautiful quote on the wall of my office here, and it's traveled with me to other places. Uh, it's anonymous, so I've taken liberty to tweak it occasionally. And it reads like this. There is a silence into which the world cannot intrude. There is a peace in prayer I cannot lose. Isn't that beautiful? Silence and solitude is a gift to our spiritual walk. We need time when we can be still with the Lord. And Henry Nouwen is incredibly instructional to us in understanding what happens in that time of quiet with the Lord. He says that solitude is something that brings us alone before God and that in that time of aloneness before God, we are able to hear the Good Shepherd's voice saying, you are mine and I am yours. You are loved. You do not have to prove yourself. And that in that time of quiet, in daily reflection, or how often we usher in our time with Christ, that we can do something as simple as lighting a candle, signaling our attentiveness to God's Spirit. That's why our 10th kids, in all of our online 10th kids lessons and in person, light a candle to signal that God is with us. We're practicing that with our children. And that as we do this, Nowen suggests we would take the promises of Scripture and look in the Word in places like Psalm 23, where we read, the Lord is my shepherd. And we would recite those to ourselves slowly, gradually, having it move from intellectual understanding till it penetrates our hearts. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is mine. Nowen suggests that when we do this practice, it's like staring at a painting long enough that it remains in our inner room throughout the day. Isn't that beautiful? And then he reminds us how important community is. If solitude is important, he moves us into community, and he suggests that we take that solitude, that aloneness before God, into our gathering with other people, and 
we make space for their claim on their aloneness before God too. He, he suggests that it's like bringing a strong pillar. We each bring our strong pillars into the room and we hold up the roof of our communal house as we gather. Hmm, so lovely. He says, our solitude greets the solitude of others. I love that. But even as these are key ways that we can hear from the Good Shepherd's voice, I feel it's important to say that for those who've experienced great harm, great loss, those moments of quiet can be intimidating or even overwhelming. I've recently, throughout the pandemic, written a small book chapter for a colleague's book, and it's coming to print soon. And, and in it, I say, for the abandoned and the abused, all the concepts of a loving savior, all that is spoken about the saving one who enters into their suffering may ring empty and utterly meaningless if they are not spoken by someone who is radically present in their lives. I have a, a colleague, someone who has served as a children's pastor in a, another city in North America, and she knows I'm sharing this with you today. And this is a sensitive topic, but I think it's important that you hear someone here saying things even when it's hard. This colleague of mine serves as a pastor now, but she used to be a young person who had experienced years of being sexually abused by her father. And she speaks about the radical ministry of presence that a good shepherd woman had in her life when she showed up and helped her journey to healing. She says, she looked into my eyes and the chemistry of my world changed. She really loved me. She taught me about a savior who knew my suffering. She taught me I was safe with her. She made space for my brokenness. She didn't rush me. She loved me. She dried my tears. She sat by me when I told my mom about the abuse. She sat in court with me when I confronted my abuser. She showed up again and again. She saved me. I was not alone, and the love of a rescuer was not an abstraction I read about in the Bible. It had skin on it. It is her legacy that I think of now as I serve as children's pastor in my own church. And then she asks these poignant questions. What if we aren't just keeping children busy so that the adults can do the serious work of the church? What if we are literally saving lives one child at a time, one young person at a time? You see, I was dead and now I live. Really, live. How many children need this? She asks. Hmm. Friends, we have this incredible opportunity to bring the resurrection power of Christ into the lives that so desperately need to know what good news with skin on it looks like. People who need to know what it sounds like. People who need the promises of scripture to come alive in their stories just because God's people shows up. For we are not just saved from something. We are saved for something. I'm gonna say that again. We are not just saved from something. We are saved for something. 
And it's important to ask, who is this love for? Who is the good shepherd's voice for? And the answer is, it's for you. And it's for me. And it's for others who are not yet with us. And Jesus turns us in John chapter 10 with eyes looking outwards as he says in verse 16 through 18 with great compassion, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. His love is for you. His love is for me. And this good shepherd voice is for those who haven't heard it yet, but who will listen when they do. Have you ever felt like the Lord was directing you to share his love with somebody outside of your life, somebody maybe very different from you, as God softens your heart to needs that are present across the street or around the globe. This is why I found myself in the middle of an orphanage in the Philippines years ago. This is why I was asking the question of those children and those caregivers, where is love in this place? because the spirit had so moved me, to be honest, it would have been more painful not to go <laughs> because of the ways that God was moving in my spirit. But the answers I received from those there changed my understanding of what it means to show up. Most telling for me were the moments I would ask them, where is love in this place? And then uh, repeat it in Tagalog. And I would see the children and young people rummaging through my art supplies for the orange pencil crayon. They were looking again for this orange crayon so that they could draw the picture of Mom Charity's hair. <laughs> and it struck me when I first noticed it, but I gotta tell you, it happened enough times that when they would start to look through the art supplies and pull out that color, I would get shivers. I'd think, there it is, there it is. And they would write words or draw pictures about what it meant to be cared for, to be fed, to be protected, the stark contrast that was from what they had known before. They were speaking to somebody who had said, I am here. I'll never forget about the way Charity spoke about that when I interviewed her. And she gave voice to what it's like when you're willing to pay the cost and get your skin in the game. She said, there are those who think I should stay in my office all day long. But when the, at the end of the day, there is a young person who needs to sit in the courtroom and look across the room at a father who violently harmed them, I am there. And when there is a child or a young person laying in the bed with a diagnosis, and a treatment they need but may not get, I am there. Mm. And she can't do it in her own power. None of us can do that in our own power. Don't walk out of this room thinking, I can't do as charity does. 
or walk out saying, I can't do as Ashling does or Nathan does or anyone else using their gifts as Christ calls them to do. We read that Paul says to Timothy and all those who will come after him in 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7, for this reason, I remind you to keep alive the gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For the spirit that God has given us does not make us timid. Instead, his spirit fills us with power and love and self-control. You know, one of the most beautiful things to see in any room I go into, it's when someone has prayed over the humble gifts they have and just asks the Lord to use it. And I know Charity prays that way. And I didn't just get drawings of her, I got drawings of other caregivers who brought their gifts, maybe not of command, but of gentleness or thoughtfulness. It showed up in the pictures. And they also drew pictures of Jesus because people had taken the time to tell them about a good shepherd who loved them so much. As you've listened today, there may have been things that have come up in your own stories Places where you need the good shepherd's voice to speak to the healing that you need, the places of hurt and harm that you carry. And if that's you, I would encourage you to find somebody to pray with after the service, whether a prayer team member or someone on staff or someone you trust so that you know you're not alone. And if instead you have felt moved and compelled because the whisper of the Spirit has spoken in your heart about the ways that God would use your gifts, anointed by his power, to show up with good news with skin on it, where God's calling you to go, I'd encourage you to find somebody to pray with you about that as well. So I want to ask you this last question. Tenth church. Where is love? in this place. Lord, hear our prayers, I pray. Amen.